Welcome to the Forest Educator Podcast. I'm Ricardo Sierra. One of the places that most people tend to avoid is swamps. And when I say swamps, I mean like marshes, wetlands, places that conjure up ideas of like mud and ferns and grasses and under the ferns or by as you're walking through the ferns there's pockets of mud that can go really deep and there's like slippery places with trees and branches and grass and it's thick in those areas it's hard to see they are usually places that because there's water there there's usually a lot of like mosquitoes and insects and things like that and also not to shy away from the topic, there's animals like there's snakes and maybe there's turtles, snapping turtles, and even alligators if you're in a southern area. And these are places where most of the time, if I doesn't matter really who I'm with, the majority of people generally don't want to go into those areas. It doesn't matter if they're staff members and we're on a trip somewhere or if they are campers and children in a program, or whether it's adults in a survival workshop, or just people hanging out. Like most people have an inherent fear of dark water. They're afraid of getting wet, getting dirty, losing their shoes as you're walking through this like thick mud. It's like a very unpleasant experience for most people. It's like really the farthest thing you can be away from It's like on one side of the spectrum is like inside your house, everything's clean. All your clothes are fresh and smell like fabric softener scents or whatever. And you're dry and you're, there's no mosquitoes or very few. There's everything is very controlled and clean. And then you venture on the other side of the spectrum and you're in a place where there's lightning bugs around your head or there's deer flies and there's all kinds of there's spider webs and there's like snakes cruising through and different things. And and on top of that, you're going to be deep in calf deep in some watery, slippery, muddy, sandy areas where it's just, Oh my gosh, this is like the opposite of everything that I try to do in my whole life. And that adults have been telling you to do your whole life. That vision is something that I'm familiar with pretty closely because it's something that I encountered over and over again throughout my career. And I was thinking about this because there was a moment in my training with Tom Brown where he was sharing with us. It was was not really a class. It wasn't a formal class. It was really just a few of us that were hanging out in between programs. And one of the days he came out and was like, hey, let's hang out together. And we were all just sitting around the fire up at a camp and working on crafts. And it was like, it was summer. He said, at one point, are we going to do anything besides sit around this fire? Are we going to go do something? And everyone looked at each other. What do you have in mind? You got any ideas? And and he goes, something that I haven't done in a long time is a follow the leader swamp crawl he's me and my friends would go out and we one of us would be the leader and they would like cruise through the swamp and we'd have to follow them and try to do what they did 
I could see my friends look at, and their faces would be like, is that going to be fun? As the reality was sinking in. And I was feeling that too. I was like, uh, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this because around where we were staying was these very thick cedar swamps. And the cedar swamps were areas where the river had slowed down, where water was flowing, and then the water would maybe rise up, flooding a little bit after a hard rain, and spread out into these areas where there was lots of moss and blueberries growing and mud. And then there were lots of cedar trees there, and many of them had fallen over, over hundreds of years. And so there were some laying sideways and some laying flat and everything. And we were just thinking, I don't even know, out of all the places that I had explored, this, the Cedar Swamp was the one place I hadn't really gone deep into. And so I was like, hey, I don't know. But Tom, for a minute, I, I think he saw our faces. And I, you know how like when somebody says yes to something and you can see on their face that they're very conflicted and that they don't really want to do it or they don't think they want to do it. That was exactly the scenario. So Tom just said for a minute and he said, look, if you want to really understand and like become truly a part of nature, you've got to go into nature like the animals do, like humans have done for millennia. No, you're not going to be wearing like all your water shoes. You're not going to be doing it. You're going to go in. We're going to go barefoot. We're going to, we're going to move along the trees. We're going to use wearing shorts and t-shirts or whatever. We're going to just cruise through there because we want to feel it all. He's the goal is to feel it all, not to be afraid of it and to embrace your fears if you do have fear. He said, it's going to be raw. It's going to be something that will really probably make you uncomfortable if you're worried about getting dirty or getting scratched or any of that, or maybe dying. That was in my mind, that was like thinking, I'm going to jump onto a cedar log and follow somebody and then maybe fall and be impaled on some spikes or something. I just was really nervous. And he, he I would say he half sold me. Like on one hand, there was a part of me that was like, that does sound good philosophically. I like the idea of getting past my own inhibitions or my own preconceived notion. And then at the same time, there was this part of me that was like, are you crazy? Put some sneakers on, wear long pants, do all these things. I was just thinking like, I'm going to get leeches and they're going to go right onto my legs because I'm going to have no, nothing protecting or anything. And I kept imagining like, we're going to be eaten alive by mosquitoes, all of that. Honestly, I think still, I still believe that like both are true. But at the time, I was probably just young enough to be able to just say, all right, let's, I'm going to go for it and have a new experience. And that experience may end up me being in the hospital, but I'm going to let go. And I probably won't be alone because there's four other people, five other people here. And we might all be sharing some rooms up there someplace in New, uh, some New Jersey hospital. So anyway, we did. We went out and just went to the edge of the swamp and started to move through. And immediately, like the thing that I realized as soon as I took my shoes off was that I hadn't nearly gone barefoot enough to create calluses that would prevent me from feeling everything on the bottoms of my feet. My feet were somewhat tough, but they were not 
And after being in the mud and everything for 20 minutes, your feet all get soft anyway. But I, we just took our time. And he had said to us, we're going to do Fall of Leader. But it was really not about going as fast as you could or doing like flips or doing anything inherently really dangerous. But we were going through crossing over these little streams or whatever on what looked like impossibly slender yet somehow strong cedar poles and feeling in the moss these like crackly leaves underneath there that have been sitting there that were dried and feeling stuff through the moss through our toes we could see mud squishing up through that and there was a little bit of a breeze, so the mosquitoes really weren't bad at all. And it was in the middle of summer, so it was like probably the driest it was going to be. And as we were moving, Tom was going first, and he's a pretty big guy. So he was choosing trees, and then he would like go up to a tree and then hop onto it and then walk down to the very end where the top of the tree, and it would get springy, and then he would jump to a stump, and then move very quietly through these rows of saplings where you had to squeeze between them. And and under those saplings, it was it, the soil and everything was just bare. It was like bare soil with like cedar, um, little tiny cedar needles and dirt and roots. And then move along, just very slowly moving through this through this wetland area. And you could see the sun as it was setting, slanting through with the light was these shafts of light. And as we were there as and hidden in the shade of all these cedar trees, our eyes slowly began to adjust to the low light. And next thing, somebody else was in charge and they were leading us into another spot. And sometimes we were having to go through a little creek and then wade up the creek. And it was really fun because we were walking up this creek and the water in the Pine Barrens in that area have so many cedar trees leaching all of their bark and wood and needles and everything into the water. So that was incredibly tannic. It looks like, like the darkest tea that you can imagine. It's like cedar tea water. And the water was flowing through there with that reddish brown color. And then at the bottom of the little creek actually had sand because the whole Pine Barrens ecosystem is actually established on a, a sandy aquifer. It just filters right down through. And the sand that they have are these like little yellow quartz and white quartz pebbles. And I could feel those pebbles as I was walking and the cedar tannic waters flowing over my legs. I was about waist deep. And it felt so good. It was like so cool and soothing after I'd gone through some of the brush and my legs were all scratched up and I could feel the, how good the tannic solution feels. It's very drying, astringent. And we were just walking up through and there was willows leaning in and, and we were threading those willows and we'd come to a tree or maybe five trees that were there. We have to slither through that. And I would try to picture myself as, oh, how would an otter go through and around or a mink or something like that, an animal, a raccoon that could just cruise right through those. And of course, we're all way bigger than those animals, but we it was fun to see people 
I don't want to say that they pretend to be animal, but they would, they, their bodies just started to move a little bit more like an animal and not be, I don't know how it, how when somebody's walking and they're in their head, so they're trying to think how to like jump from rock to rock or whatever. And they just look really disjointed. And then there's another way that you can cross a stream jumping from rock to rock where you're not thinking at all. And you're just, it just flows and it's like pop you're over and you're done. And it's like, there's no thought. You're just like, yeah, one minute I was here a second and a half later, I'm on the other side and I'm just, and that doesn't even exist anymore. But I could see that, that, that began to happen to us as the longer we went, the more we stopped thinking about, oh no, we got to get through that. Oh no, what are we going to do? My fear just began to drop away and I began to move through those places without thought, without worry, without stress. There were times where I did bang my knee into a cedar spike or something because those cedar trees, they don't really rot for, they don't rot very fast. So even something that's like laying in the water can still be solid. I did get banged a little bit, but it was not the type of thing where I felt we weren't going fast enough to really get seriously hurt. And it was very liberating to co go through this, these thickets. So some places we were walking through and it was just like high bush blueberries and grasses everywhere. And we were just making a ton of noise going through it, crackling. I don't know what the animals were thinking, but there was just a joy that we began to have moving through that landscape to where you know, it's like when you face your fear on something and then you have that high afterwards. If you go and you say, ah, I don't know if I'm going to jump into that waterfall, that big pool, I'm going to jump off this ledge and drop in. And, you know, maybe it's only 10 feet off the ground or 20 feet off the ground, but there's that hesitation and you're afraid for a long time. And then all of a sudden you do it. And then you're like, oh my gosh, it feels so good. I did that. That was so fun. Or maybe it's just getting into a river <laughs> And you're afraid because it's going to be cold and you get in there and it is cold, but then you're like, oh, it feels so good that I did it. So you, anytime when you face those fears, you have that elation, that joy. And the swamp experience that I had with Tom was something that it was a very tangible thing, but it also was very subtle. It was not the same as like maybe somebody going bungee jumping or being a fire walker and walking across hot coals. And it was something that we just, I just kept seeing people slip into that mindset. I could see it because they just looked different. They weren't looking at me. They weren't trying to acknowledge and see if I was afraid. Like they were just like smiling and just observing. And they're very, their insides were very still. I could feel inside their, who they were, their energy or their vibe or whatever that people might say was much calmer and we were maybe matching the pace of that like very slow moving stream. And it was awesome. I, I can't really, I, there's times where I don't remember. I, I, I remember being the last person and the last person, it was like good and bad because on one hand, everybody has gone in front of you. So they've knocked all the little thorns and all the little branches that scratched the heck out of you out of the way. So it's like opened and you're like, oh, I can fit through here. <clears throat> on the other side, it, it's bad because if a bunch of people walked over like a tree that's fell over a creek or a big wet muddy area, whatever 
springy life that tree had by the time everybody had gone through it. Some of the guys were big and burly. They, that tree was like smashed down or really flimsy. And sometimes it was like broken in half. And then it was like my job to try to go over it and follow the leader on a tree that everybody had beat the heck out of. And so that was the bad part was that sometimes like everybody has stepped on these three little grassy mounds, like little tussocks of grass that are growing, that are lifted up from the bed of the swamp. And so everybody has hopped from one to the next and they're all like smashed down and bent. And you're like, okay, thanks guys. I'm, I know I'm going to get muddy now because I'm going to slip and go right into that mud. And of course I did. And other people did too. But it was so funny in a way being the last person. I don't remember leading personally. So I don't even know if I ever did lead, lead or not, but I've led a lot of them afterwards. The leading part was really fun because all of a sudden, instead of following somebody, you're just like there and you're like, where do we go? How do I go? How am I going to get through some of these places? And sometimes kind of like get on our stomachs and kind of slide under 10 feet of fallen logs that are the only way they're so high up off the ground that they're, you know, going to stab you in the eyes or something. Too many branches. There's a little, there's a little like one foot slot which could sort of slither through. And I remember going under there and it was so damp and I just kept thinking there's all must be a bunch of snakes in here. And it just, it was just the weirdest thing because nothing was growing under. There's no grass, no moss, nothing. It was just totally bare. And crawling through that was, was pretty cool, but scary. And we got to the other side, we washed up and sat by the fire that night and I just, I felt like I had gone to another world. Literally, we had probably gone, I don't know, not even an eighth of a mile probably from the camp, but it was just in a direction that nobody ever went. And one of the things that was neat about that was that we, when we got to the far end of the swamp, then we came out of the woods and we were on this little road that was like a power line road that we could walk back on easily and avoid the rest of it. But when we got to the other side of it, I remember thinking like, there is so many animals in here that are very comfortable here because nobody ever goes in. And so they are safe. There is just almost nobody with like hundreds of people coming to these wilderness programs and taking classes here. And everybody's using all the other areas. They're using the pitch pine forest and the scrub oak and these little open sandy areas that are filled with pine needles. And yes, we do go down to the creek where it's a little pool and we wash up and we have a little bathing area, whatever. It's like totally beautiful and nice. But no one was really going into that other place regularly. So the animals knew like, all right, we can just do our thing here and we're not going to we're not going to be chased by anybody or startle anyone or create any kind of problems. And so that, that was eye-opening for me because I just knew that as I thought about it more, you don't really think about where all the animals go unless you're someone who is a, a naturalist maybe. But it, it was like a, an eye-opener for me because oftentimes in an area, any kind of an area – that I work, that I go to, I always look for the place that's the most nastiest, thorn-ridden, 
damp, dirty, mucky, buggy area. And that's where I know that's where all the biggest deer are going to be. That's where the raccoons are going to be looking for food and so forth. That's going to be places where there's little pools and there's going to be filled with frogs and salamanders and snapping turtles. And the herons are going to be in there fishing for minnows and tadpoles and all this stuff is happening right there. And that, and yet everybody else is walking on this trail that's just like wide open, uh, you know, under a canopy of like mature maple trees and totally oblivious to the fact that there's this incredible diversity of animals and plants and like nutrients and birds and everything else. And they're all like clustered in there. So if you get in there, you can actually see uh, animals like really close. Anytime I've gone into those kinds of wetland areas that most people don't want to go into, that the animals are feel so safe that they, they can still smell that there's humans nearby. So the scent of a human doesn't really bother them that much or raise their suspicion. But I've seen raccoons be walking down a trail eight feet from me who are not expecting me to be there because nobody's ever gone into that area. And then they see me and I'm sitting there real still and they just, they'll just stare at me for a long time. And then sometimes if the wind shifts and they really smell me, they could, they'll take off running. Other times they'll just keep on going or sometimes they'll turn and just walk away and be like, yeah, oh, I knew you were there the whole time. That's the vibe they give sometimes. And I remember going into a wetland area, marshy area that was not too far from where I was staying visiting a friend in Massachusetts a few years later. And I remember sitting on a little, I love sitting on like a little ledge. If there's just like even four or five feet of a, like a rock or a, an outcropping or a little cliff or something like anything like that, looking out over a Creek, that's one of my favorite places. That's where all the bobcats like to sit or foxes or whatever. And I find a little spot and I tuck in there and just see if I can enjoy the sunset, watch the moon rise over the water or whatever. And I remember sitting out there one time. I'm not sure what I was doing. I, I always like to put context to this because I don't want people to think like, oh, all Rick does is just wake up early in the morning or go out every night and just sit and <laughs> enjoy the start. I don't do that much these days. But at that time, I would go out and observe, like I would go out and make marks in like my tracking boxes and then write all that stuff down. And then I might, if I had a spot somewhere, I'd go sit and hang out. And I'd only been out going to this one spot for two times. And I was sitting there and I heard this long cry, like an exhale and a whistle. And it was just like, like a, I can't duplicate it, but it's like a whistling sound that was very close by and almost like it fades into this like groan. And I thought, what is that sound? I did not know what that sound was. And then I saw in out of the brush, out of the kind of these low shrubby plants, I saw something, a silhouette flapping its wings and it flew up into a little snag a little tree a dead tree with a dead with a branch sticking out and i saw that it was an owl and the owl had a rabbit had a huge almost the same size as the owl it had this huge rabbit which is all 
mostly fur anyway, probably. But it just it lifted this rabbit up and was sitting there, and it and then it made its like call, and the call was this sound which was like, "I'm a badass. <laughs> I killed a rabbit. Everyone, I did it. Like I." I am eating now or something. And then I could hear other owls in, along the wetland respond to that call. And, and it did that three times. And I didn't realize it until later. I was telling this story to someone and they said, oh yeah, there is a really distinct sound when an owl lands on its prey and it, and and it like squeezes the life out of this rabbit. It's like a death whis whistle or something. And I've only heard it like maybe three times in my life, but, but it was really an amazing thing to be that close to. I never thought that I would be that close. I didn't think there were rabbits right down there either. And I definitely didn't see the owl come in and get it or anything. I just heard that sound. And that was like this close encounter for me that helped me to like solidify and say, yes, you know what? These little wetland areas, I am a fan. I am a hundred percent there. And to be fair, I'm not really someone that has spent a lot of time in like the Southeast, like in the coastal swamps, in the saltwater marshes of Alabama, or, and I haven't been in the Everglades really. I haven't been in like the swamps of Louisiana or whatever. So I haven't been to those. I think of those as being like almost like an extreme environment, but I've spent a lot of time in the northeastern woodlands and in the wetlands around them. And especially also up as you go further north, the wetlands change a little bit. They're not sometimes they're not really as much of a swamp, which is like an area that has a lot of like nutrients. You have a lot of like red maple trees and big deciduous trees, and there's just an incredible amount of like nutrients in wildlife and the soil's really rich and nitrogen. And it, when you get further up into the Adirondacks or into Vermont, Northeast Kingdom, or into Maine, a lot of the soil becomes uh, much more sandy and much more poor. And the types of debris and so forth that are leaching in there is usually really high in tannins. So it's very acidic. And those are usually considered bogs where the vegetation has crept into the, where the water is. And then they become floating bogs or quaking bogs. And it's a very different kind of environment. The soil isn't, it's, there isn't as many wildlife species in there and they're definitely having to adapt. So that's where you find high bush blueberries, you find cranberries, you find like kinnikinnick and wintergreen growing these little like waxy leaved shrubs, partridge berries. And you find that in those places, lots and lots of sphagnum moss, which is like this very thick, kind of a gray-green moss that is a survival person's friend because you can dry it and use it for making, carrying coals with you through the forest. You can do a lot of cool things with that. And But those areas further north are all, have always been really wonderful places to go. I, oftentimes in a marshy area north, you'll find a lot of like really tall grasses, which are wonderful for uh, lining the inside of your wilderness shelter. If you're staying in a primitive shelter, let me tell you, grasses are definitely the way to go. So I've spent a lot of time exploring these kinds of places. And I guess my best bog story is that 
we had gone, spent a really good summer, and it was like myself, I think Mike Putherer, who was one of my head instructors, and Mark Elbrock was there. We had all spent the summer working at my camp. It was like maybe my fourth or fifth year, maybe sixth year running my summer camp. And we'd spent the summer in Hawthorne Valley, Harlemville, New York, in the Hudson Valley. And we had been uh, working really hard and somebody had let us use their cabin for the that week, the week after camp. And so we all went up there, we cleaned up the camp, and then we went up and just said, let's spend four or five days and just hang out. And so we brought some food and we hang out and then we would just go and explore. We'd go in any direction that we could. And we had gone swimming in a river and just was having a good time. And we saw this little bog off the side of the road. We thought, let's go check out that. It was a pretty small road, so it wasn't like a big highway. And so we got off there and went into it. And it was this big, like there was open water in a pretty nice area, maybe, I don't know, 50 or 60 feet of water. And you could see that the water was pretty deep and the water actually looked clear. And so some of us started walking out because we wanted to pick blueberries on this like bog and the whole thing was like moving and it was fun, but but weird too, because every 10th time your foot might just disappear and you'd punch through this mat of floating vegetation and your foot would go down through and into the water below. So that was freaky. And I remember going out there and like looking for cranberries, even though it wasn't really quite time to harvest those yet. And just really enjoying there, seeing these little pitcher plants where the plant is actually created a little cauldron that has like a little mouth that attracts insects and then the insects fall into there. And that's how that plant gets new nutrients in that area because the nutrients are just so poor. Anyway, we were checking all that out. One of the staff members decided they were going to go swimming in the middle of that. And he had a pair of goggles or he might've had a mask, like a swimming mask. So he went out, jumped in. There was a big tree that had fallen over and was leaning in. So he walked out on that tree and then slipped into the water, put his mask on. And he was looking around down there. And I thought, oh, that must be so cool to see. The sunlight was like shining overhead at an angle. And, and I thought, oh, I bet you the sunlight's coming down through there. I bet you there's a lot of cool stuff to see in there. So he came out and got out and he quickly jumped onto this fallen tree and was sitting there. And I said, are you going back in? And he said, no. And I said, can I use your mask? And he said, sure. So he gives me the mask. And so I get there and I slide out into into the water. I put the mask on and then I put my head under. And at first, all I see is this like incredible like underwater scene like you'd see on planet earth or any of those like nature wildlife shows. And it just looks like this massive aquarium and it's just like green. There's like these roots hanging down from the bog and it fades into darkness because the further you go towards the shore where the bog is thick, it's like, there's no light, but you can see these little shafts of light coming in where maybe where I stepped through and made a hole or whatever, any place where there was light that from above that could go through, you could see these like shafts, like beams of light going down. And in there, I was looking to see, oh, there must be fish under there. Of course, we were like chomping on the bog and then jumping in the water, whatever. I only, I only saw one little fish wave in the distance, but that's what I was looking for. And 
as I was looking and see, taking in that whole spectacle, which is like forever ingrained in my head, it was just so cool. I happened to look down and I was like thinking, what's right below me? And I looked down and the water got, got dark and murky, but I could see something moving and it was like undulating this like undulating thing about maybe the size of my thumb. And I, and I saw it. And as I saw it with the mask, I saw it coming closer and closer to me. And I realized it was a leech. It was like this big leech that was cruising through the water. And, and I like moved my hand to sweep it away. And then I turned and I looked and there was like, I don't know, I want to say like thousands, but it might have been like 10 or 20. But I just saw every direction I looked, I saw this movement. And there were these little leeches like undulating towards me. At, at least I think they were. I didn't stick around to find out because that freaked me out. And so I like just burst out of the water. I don't think I pushed off the ground. I don't know what I did. Somehow I must have kicked really strongly or something. But I like burst out of the water, jumped onto the tree. And I was just like, oh my God, are there any leeches on me? And I just kept turning around and checking myself. And everyone was like, no, you're good. I don't, did you see anything? And I was like, there were leeches down there. It's, it freaked me out. And I, I could tell they were nervous too. And so one of the, one of the other staff members, I think jumped in and put the thing on and was like, came up and he wasn't panicked. And he just went, yep, there's leeches down there. And then he put the mask back down and went underneath again and was like swimming around in there. So I think he was pretty okay about it, but man, that freaked me out. So that's one of my bog stories that I can say was very enlightening for me. And I don't know if that's true everywhere. I don't know if anybody else has had that experience. I've never really heard anybody talk about it, but it was definitely something that if you have a primal fear of having something cling onto you and suck your blood, whatever, it just felt like, okay, it was a little vampire moment from the woods. But afterwards I was like, wow, it was so cool. And there was that thing. So another thing that I want to mention about wetlands and swamps and bogs and all that is it, it's something about like how it's impacted me as an educator. Now, most of the time when I am running summer camps, I have students there, campers who are with me or my staff for six or seven days. And so during that time, we're taking hikes and making crafts and learning skills and going for walks and having a good time and playing games. I could, there's a whole range of things, eating food, eating more food, having some snacks, making s'mores, whatever. All these things are happening. And sometimes we can go a couple of days or a couple of weeks or three weeks and not really travel too far because we're just so filled with things that we can do pretty close to camp. And at the same time, I realized that, especially early in my career as an educator, that there were times where I found that the group wasn't getting along. And when that started happening, we would do different interventions in the sense of, hey, let's do a game where we get to know each other, or let's do kind of a, some sort of social things that will help people feel safe with each other. And we will do activities that rotate leadership. In other words, like we'll do an activity that I know some students or participants there will really gravitate and be really good at. And somebody who 
maybe who was a leader in some other areas might not be as good. And, and it balances it and they get to see each other in different ways. And I thought, yeah, those things oftentimes work really well. But when those didn't work and you don't really have a big window with a camp, especially a week-long camp, you don't have a big window to get everybody on the bus because if you wait too long, the camp's over. <laughs> and now all of a sudden you're like, okay, we just spent six days arguing and getting into emotionally charged issues or just shut down or quiet or people not taking any kind of risks or anything. And so I got it down for myself that when that group, a group didn't really know how to get themselves into good place and we tried things as a team and as a staff, the only last resort that I had was to take them into the woods. And so I would say, everybody, get. we'd always tell people in the equipment list, bring clothes that you can get permanently dirty. Bring clothes like that, like whether it's sneakers, pants, everything. I was like, get into your dirty clothes just so you have them. And they were like, why? And I go, just, just in case. We're not sure why. And they would, oftentimes there'd be students that would be like, these are my dirty clothes or whatever. And they look, they would look cleaner than anything I had that I had in my own wardrobe. They were just super, super nice and clean. And they were like, these are the dirty clothes. And my mom doesn't care if these all get ruined. And I'm like, all right. And then we would just head into the forest. And every time I'd hear them bicker or start to argue, sometimes they'd be arguing about baseball or they'd be arguing about movies or they'd be arguing about Dungeons and Dragons or something, whatever it was. Every time they'd argue... I would go into an area of the woods, like I would get off the trail and go through like a bunch of brush and they would very quickly be arguing and then focusing most of their energy on trying to not get their hair snang snarled up in a bunch of blackberries. And then we would get on our hands and knees and be crawling and then we'd get back up again. If they were all cool, we'd get to the other side of it or whatever. And then I'd be like, all right, let's walk through this grass and through this little meadow and through these open woods. As soon as they start arguing again, I would take them like down this trail and then I would just turn and go right into the swamp. I would just go right in a bunch amongst these four and a half, five feet tall ostrich ferns. Some of those areas where you're like step and the water bubbles, all these little bubbles come out of the mud and you're like, there's a lot of water in there. And I would just be walking right along the edge of that. And they would have to concentrate so they wouldn't slip and fall or anything. And and that would just take all their focus. And they would try. They'd try to still keep that argument going, but it would only last for like maybe 10 steps. And then they just gave up and focused. They were like, had to be really present in their bodies in that moment, whatever. And I would just keep doing that. I would do that probably, I would probably do, do the little dive into the thick stuff, like maybe six or seven times. If, and they sometimes would rebel against me, like all of them. They would be like, what are you doing? Why are we going here? They would get really upset because it was pushing their envelope. Their comfort zone was way out. They could see these mosquitoes. They could, they were deer flies biting them or whatever, zipping around their heads and landing on their arms or something. And they were getting dirty and they would slip and they would go, my, my pants are getting dirty. And I'm like, that's good. Cause those are your dirty pants. And their shoes were wet. Sometimes they'd lose a shoe cause they would go into the mud and the, you know how, when you pull your foot out too fast, your shoe stays in there. 
So we'd stop and have to go dig around in the mud to find someone's shoe. And then that shoe would come out and they'd be like, I'm not putting that back on. And we'd have these like conversations about stuff like that. And it was just, it would just push their buttons, making them really uncomfortable. And then I'd find, I usually end in a spot where there's like running water and it's like nice and clean and it's in a nice open part of the woods and they could all wash all their stuff, rinse off their pants. And we could spend like 15 minutes just cleaning all the mud off and cleaning everything out and, and just feeling good and that cold water and sitting on the bank and, and letting everything dry. And when we would do that, it did two things. It would make them all, instead of them being annoyed with each other, they'd be annoyed at me. Or they also would just, the forest would be, in my mind, I saw the woods having like full contact time. And when they get full contact with like mother nature, she's pulling a lot of that extraneous, I don't know, I don't want to say garbage isn't the right word, but it's all that stress and all that like, just, you know, how people get when you just, you're irritated, you're irritated at yourself, or you're maybe it's your mom, or you're irritated at somebody, you're just not happy. And you're just going to make sure everybody else isn't happy because you're not happy. And you don't even know why you're doing it, but you just feel like there's, you can't get out of your own way. And it feels every time we do that, like the mud and the scratchy brush and going on their hands and knees or whatever, all that stuff, the, the smell of the mud and the ferns and all this overwhelms that part and then draws it out, like pulls it out. And then what's left is this like, ah, oh, hey, I just did something. I just did something pretty serious. I don't know what happened, but I feel really different. And I feel let's go do something. And they would just go and we would, they'd be so happy to get away from me in some ways. I wasn't mean about any of this, but I was very guiding them in a way. And then we'd stop in the middle of the swamp and then tell stories. Sometimes I do a fire test. They'd have to actually take branches from a tree that fell over and make a platform and then find tinder and then make a fire. That would, that was one thing that I used to do, which was really fun. They would just have to figure it out. Sometimes I would tell them how to do it, and sometimes I wouldn't, and I would just let them figure it out. And they're like, where are we going to build it? And I'm like, these are your resources. What do you? What should you do? But anyway, they, they were, at the end of that, being challenged in so many different ways. It made them all feel like they all had a powerful experience that they now could share as a group. And I don't want to say, oh, walking in a swamp cures people from major psychological issues. That's not what I'm saying. But it definitely helped in forming a group identity and forming a chance for them to help each other and to tell each other, hey, I'm going to be letting go of this branch. Don't let it whip you in the head behind me. And it got them through that. It was one of the only things that would work with groups that were struggling. And that was something that I learned. And that's never really failed me. The only time it fails me is when I'm actually not feeling like I want to destroy my shoes and my pants and, and everything and go into the woods and I don't use it. Then I'm like, okay, <laughs> it's probably worth getting another pair of jeans and doing it anyway. But that's, that was something that was really wonderful because there's a real feeling when you come out of that, when you're in a place that's impenetrable, even if you're only going 15 feet and you get to the other side of it, it's just like this 
incredible release. And, and I love all the wetlands for that reason, for doing that. And, the, and those little transition areas and those little thickets and everything, it's just a fantastic place to use and to utilize. And when you're with very young children, they actually motivate and go to those places naturally. So you don't necessarily have to lead them there. They're going to lead us. And that's a cool aspect of that. So I bet all the people that are forest school educators are like, oh yeah, we know what that's all about. They're going there without even a, a qualm of fear. They're just diving right in. And I like go, yeah, that's a hundred percent true too. I will say that another thing that I'll mention for all of you that might be reluctant to maybe want to get dirty and get muddy and go in and get wet and cold or whatever, or bit by bugs or anything. One of the best ways to explore wetlands is to, if you want to stay dry and clean and all that, is to go in the wintertime. In the winter there are, everything's frozen. So if it's frozen, the, even the mud can be frozen or there'll be water over it. And then that water is frozen thick. And <clears throat> that's a whole other experience that is for me a, a really awesome thing to see. So when a swampy area freezes and I can go along the edges and go out into places that I normally can't walk out because it's too deep, I can go out there and see certain grasses. You can see where the beavers have chewed down some willow trees. You can see a log out there where turtles have been sitting or where otters are making little scent mounds or something, muskrat houses, all that. And so those are really fun things to do. But you do have to be careful because if you're out there, sometimes the water table on those marshy areas will go up and down. And if the water goes up and it gets real cold and then the water goes out, there will be a gap between the ice and the water. There'll be an air gap. And air does not support weight very well. Ice that has water under it directly is very strong. If you have six or eight inches of ice and there's a gap underneath it, you probably still be okay. But sometimes if there's only three inches, you can break through. Most of the time, you're probably not going to perish if you're in like a, a very small kind of swampy area. But if you're out where it's deep, then you got to be careful. So what I usually do when I go out into those areas is I just bring a couple like long poles. I bring some type a sapling that's five or six feet or a little bit more, something that I could use to put on the ice and then pull myself out of there if I need to. Or just stay off it if you're looking. You can usually tell if the if you're on ice and there's air between it because when you go to get on, the ice will crack and break or the, the snow and the ice will actually be sloped instead of it being flat like the rest of the water. It's sloped where the ice has sagged downward. And that's a good sign of probably not a good idea to go out there. And also if you're out in your, there's a lot of little saplings around, sometimes there the ice in between those is not as thick or because there's all those little holes, the ice isn't as solid. So uh, I have broken through in those areas. Uh, and I don't mean broken through, oh, I stepped on something and then I plunged to my death. But sometimes you'll just see that the ice will crack with your weight in a different way that it won't be five feet or three feet outside of that area. And all this is like incredibly good learning for anyone to understand the dynamics of navigation in the winter or whatever. And it becomes much trickier if there's like a lot of snow covering it. 
use caution if you're going to go out, but I will say that is someplace sometimes you can find some really cool things. Anyway, I could probably go on and on with stories, but I just wanted to share a few things I love about wetlands and sloughs and fens, I think they call it in over in the UK, Ireland. I think Ireland's one of the places that has one of the most fens and wetlands and bogs in the world. It's got so many beautiful, good ones out there. But I hope that this has been helpful. And I, lo I really love sharing this stuff with everybody. And I just want to say thank you, everyone, for all you do, for all your support, and for everything that you're doing to help help this world and help all the children out there to have that inner resilience. And maybe you're not working with kids. Maybe you're working with adults. All Everyone is needing this kind of resilience and support. And it's really good work what everyone's doing. So thank you for doing that work. And hey, have a great day. Thanks for listening to today's episode and for all the things that you do to help build a world that is connected to nature. You can get access to the bonus episodes, my forest educator nature journals and curriculum, as well as other useful content by subscribing to my Patreon page where you can support us at any level. You can find the link in the show notes for that and my website and social media as well. And I will see you outside.